Amen. If you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word as we read the last portion of the Gospel of Mark this morning, the first eight verses of chapter 16. There we read, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who is crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you'll see him, just as he told you. And they went out, fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've come to that time of season, at least in the next month or two, that time of season that we know as graduation season, be it graduation from high school or college or even the infamous kindergarten graduation, where caps and gowns will be worn, the pomp and circumstance will be played, and there will be smiles and cheers and perhaps even a few tears. And those ceremonies mark an end, a maturation. A diploma is given saying this person on this date has completed this degree. And so there is a sense of completion. But those ceremonies also mark a beginning, do they not? As education is to be a springboard into the next chapter of life. Either further schooling or a new career. And that is why these ceremonies are formally called commencement services, because there is commencing. As you know, to commence means to begin or to start. And I think that is appropriate as we come to the end of the Gospel of Mark. Yes, today, on this day, on Easter morning, marks the conclusion of our march through the Gospel of Mark. Perhaps we could say our plotting through the Gospel of Mark. Today is our 70th sermon on this glorious book. And it has taken us two years to complete. In fact, exactly two years this week. And so if you are here today for the first time, welcome, greetings. You've successfully skipped two years And have come to the very end. It's like getting a book and then flipping to the very end to read how it ends. That's how you are this morning. But it's our practice, if you're not aware of it, to work through books of the Bible. To allow the message of Holy Scripture to speak for itself. Because ultimately it's not important what I say. It's important what God says. And he does so even this day through his word, through the faithful preaching and teaching of his word. And so the greatest compliment that you can give me as a pastor is, I better understand that passage. I understand what that is 
saying and how it applies to my life. Because that is what is most needful. So again, if this is your first day, welcome. I invite you to come be a part of our next series. But if you've been here since the beginning, if you've completed the two years, well then, congratulations to you. I think you deserve a degree, perhaps a diploma, perhaps, for making it to the end. And what you know, or at least what I hope you know, is that Mark has been laying out evidence, evidence of why Jesus is the Son of God. Indeed, that is how he began this gospel. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, he says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. And so this morning we come to the last and perhaps the greatest proof that indeed Jesus is the Son of God and it is the resurrection of our Lord. And we will see, hopefully we'll see that this is not the end but merely the beginning as we commence into a new stage, a new wonderful life that is given to us through the life of our Lord. And so we'll see that this morning in three points, seeking the dead, discovering new life, and then responding to the risen Christ. First, seeking the dead. Last week we saw Joseph of Arimathea, how his acts of love towards our Lord at his death. And today we see another group of women, a a group of three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Notice we do not hear of Peter nor of John coming to the tomb on that first day of the week. Rather, it's a group of simple women. Women that loved the Lord. Women that had affection for him. That wanted to demonstrate it by the anointing of the body of our Lord with spices. This would have been a symbolic act, a a final farewell, perhaps like you would go to a funeral service and, and perhaps bring flowers. So these women go to show their respect and adoration for this man, this man that they knew as Jesus of Nazareth. They were there at the crucifixion. We read that in chapter 15, verse 40. They were there with Joseph of Arimathea when he was placing the body of our Lord in that tomb in verse 47. And no doubt they had been with Jesus throughout his life and throughout his ministry. And now they come to this place seemingly one more time, or what they think will be the final time. And their simple act, their simple faithfulness is rewarded this morning. They are the first to be given the good news of the resurrection. And that should be an encouragement to us all, that you need not be a famous person, you need not be an important person to do a work for the Lord. That simple, faithful obedience unto the Lord is always noticed. It may not be noticed by the world, it may not be noticed by others, but it is always noticed by our Lord. And it is honored. It is honored by him as it was this day. But notice they don't do it to be honored. They don't do it to be noticed. They do it simply out of love. They came that day 
out of love. They went and bought those spices out of love. They came to anoint the body of our Lord out of love. And so as we begin this morning, let me ask you, what is your motivation for coming this day? Is it out of love for the Lord or is it merely to be seen? Because sure it is Easter. And Easter morning for most in the South means coming to church. Maybe you have come because you've been invited to come and you didn't want to disappoint those that gave you that invitation. Maybe you come because it's part of a tradition to come. Maybe you come because it feels good to come, to to put on your Easter best, to enjoy the sights and the sounds and the tradition and the pageantry. Let me say this morning, if it's not out of love that you've come, then you've come for the wrong reasons. You've come with the wrong motives, with the wrong intentions. If you've come because you love Easter, you come because you, you love your mother, then you have the wrong love. Not that it's wrong ever to love your mother or Easter. Let me put that out there. But that can't be our chief love. That can't be our highest motivation. Our highest love and chief motivation in the world must be because we love the Lord Jesus Christ and we want to worship him. We want to give our allegiance to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Well, let me say this, even if that is not your intention for coming this morning. May the Lord use even your wrong intention for the right reason. Because even the women that day didn't come expecting to have happen what happened that day. They came to anoint a, a dead body. And as a result, they were completely surprised. Because as we see in our second point, they had this discovery of new life. As the women are going to the tomb, they're wondering along the way who's going to roll away that large stone. That giant stone that they had seen put in front of the tomb just days earlier. And in fact, in verse 4, Mark makes note that it was very large. So large that they would not be able to move it themselves. But as they come to that tomb, they are shocked to see that the stone is already rolled back. It says in verse 4, And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. And this comes as a complete surprise. It's as if they were walking with their heads down to the ground, still mourning, shuffling along the way. And then their gaze lifts up. And they see something new. They see something amazing. That the stone is already rolled back. And approaching, they enter into the tomb. And there they discover that there is no body. And that sign that they see with their own eyes is that sign of the empty tomb. But that sign was not a wordless sign. It is not a silent sign. God did not leave them to try to figure it out on their own. But rather there was someone there to not only show them the sign, but also to proclaim to them. They saw and they also heard. And that proclamation comes through an angel. Mark indicates him as a young man in a white robe. As you know, angels oftentimes would accompany supernatural events. We've seen this in the life of our Lord. 
They were there to give meaning, to put things into right perspective. They were never bearers of new revelation, but they were confirmers of it. They were there at the beginning of Jesus' life, at the conception, giving word to Mary and to Joseph how these things would take place. They were there at the birth of Christ, announcing to the angels or the angels announcing to the shepherds in the field that night of the glorious birth of our Lord in Bethlehem. So we should not be surprised that they would be here as well at the resurrection, that there would be an angel there to explain this supernatural event. And he gives a glorious good news, a, a wonderful proclamation. And that word to them, first of all, is do not be alarmed. Do not be fearful. Do not think as if something strange has taken place. Something mysterious has happened to the body of Christ. Now this was the plan of God. As we saw last week and have seen the last several weeks, every detail of the final week of Jesus was by divine plan. Orchestrated by a sovereign God. Foretold even beforehand. And so the angel that day, appears at that empty tomb, confirming what has already been said, the truth of the resurrection. And these were the things that have been proclaimed not only during Jesus' life, not only during Jesus' ministry, but all throughout the Old Testament. We see in Daniel 12, Psalm 16, Psalm 49, Job 19, Isaiah 26, all these proclamations long before of the resurrection. And then Jesus, when he comes, confirms those things and says that these things are going to take place. And so the angel can say, he is risen just as he said. Therefore, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, but you seek the one that was dead, the one that was crucified. That Jesus is no longer here. The lifeless Jesus, as you saw him last, is no longer. No, as the angel says, he has risen. See the empty tomb. Hear the proclamation. And that sign and that proclamation is still the same proclamation that is said this day and has been said every day since that first Sunday. The proclamation that is given to you this day is that he is risen. We proclaim not a dead Savior, a lifeless Savior. This is not a dead holiday spiced up with pomp and circumstance and the pageantry of Easter relegated to myths of Easter bunnies and Easter eggs. Let us not belittle our Lord in that way. The truth of Easter is this. Jesus is alive. We proclaim to you a risen Savior. And that is what we rejoice in this day. That the Lord Jesus Christ is alive. He is risen. He is with us this day. He's even in our presence now spiritually. And one day he will come back physically, bodily. And he is at work. He is at work with a power unknown to mankind. He's at work with a resurrection power. I want you to listen this morning to the the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1. 
As Paul writes that letter, he says to the Ephesians, I pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for those that believe him. And you might ask, well, what is this wonderful, incredible, great power that Paul writes about? He goes on to say, the same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms is that power at work in us. You hear what Paul is saying. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that is at work in you and me, raising us to newness of life. The resurrection power is at work in us. And that's what the women were not expecting that day. They were coming to anoint a dead body. Instead, they experienced life. They experienced resurrection life, new life, not only in Christ, but in themselves. And that may be similar to you as well. When you first came to Christ, or perhaps even today, that may happen in this place. That conversion takes place when you least expect it. As C.S. Lewis said when he came to the Lord that he was the most reluctant convert. I think that's true of all of us. In a sense, it comes when we least expect it. And we were going on our merry way when Christ intervened, when Christ broke in, when Christ broke into our fallen, sinful, broken self, our lifeless, dead, and hell-bound soul, and did a work, did a supernatural work, and breathed new life into us, breathed resurrection power, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead, and he made us alive. And that has made all the difference, has it not? That the Spirit has changed everything about us, that we are now new creatures in the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is nothing that is the same. Everything has changed. Heart, mind, body, and soul. You're a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. And this wasn't by you. This wasn't something that you did. This wasn't you pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, this was the power of Christ, the power of the resurrected Christ, this, the Holy Spirit at work in you, in your intellect, in your self-will, having you to do these things in him. It was the power of the Holy Spirit giving you new affections, a new spirit, a new desire, a new will, a new heart. Why? Because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. He has conquered death and hell. He has freed us from ourselves. He has freed us from the prison of this world. He has freed us from the clutches of Satan himself because he has broken the bonds and chains of death. Because he once was dead, but he is no longer. He is alive. He lives and dwells in you. And you live because he lives. You're alive this day because Christ is alive. And I want you to see third then these responses to the risen Christ. Before we leave this scene, before we conclude the gospel of Mark, we, we notice here in these last eight verses three responses to the resurrected Lord. And the first response is the one that comes at the very end. When the women 
leave. It says that they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were afraid. And this is where I believe Mark ends his gospel. Even though there's more verses that come after this, you can read a little bit more about why I think that was added later in my latest article in our our newsletter. I think Mark ends his gospel here in verse 8, and the last word is that they were afraid. And we might criticize the woman. We might say, well, didn't the angel tell you not to be afraid? And yet they still go away afraid. But you can understand why they were afraid. Not only were they not expecting this, this experience that they have just gone through, not only do they come face to face with an angel which alone would make any of us frightened and afraid, but I think they're equally afraid of what the angel said to them, that Jesus is alive. And not only that Jesus is alive, but that he is going to meet you in Galilee. And so go and tell the disciples and and meet the Lord, the risen Lord there. And you can imagine if Jesus is alive, then, well, that changes everything. And that's still the truth, isn't it? If Jesus Christ is alive, that changes everything. And that is why I think so many deny The resurrection, so many do not want to believe this truth because they do not want to deal with the truth, the reality of this situation that if Jesus is alive, then you have to do something with it. It's easier to deal with the alternative reasons of why it can't be true. Because when is it that people become most anxious and fearful? Well, most people, including myself, become most anxious and fearful when we feel out of control. When we think that there are things happening outside of our power and we feel powerless. We become frightened, we become afraid, we become fearful. Well, if you understand the call of Christ, if Jesus is risen and he is truly Lord, truly is the Son of God, And then you must understand that you must, as a result, give total control to Christ. That your life is now in his hands to do as he pleases. And if that doesn't frighten you, then you don't understand the implications. Rightfully, there should be fear. And so let me ask you today, on this glorious morning, do you fear? That indeed, if Jesus is risen, this changes everything. And there is a right type of fear, a fear that we should always keep, the fear of him being the Lord and the fact that we are not. That is a good fear. But if there is a fear this day, a fear and anxiety of of giving over control to the Lord in your life, then hear the words of the angel again. Do not fear. You should fear having your life in your hands. But you should never fear having your life in the hands of the Lord because he is the good shepherd. He's the one who loves you and cares for you better than you can love or care for yourself. A life surrendered to the Lord is the absolute safest place to be. 
The second response we see not only being afraid, but astonishment. Again, you see this from the women. They went trembling and the astonishment had seized them. They are amazed. They are bewildered. Given again, this is the right response in this situation. How could you not be amazed? No person has ever been raised from the dead before. Yet this man was clearly dead and now the news comes that he is alive. There was an astonishment, a lost in wonder. And again, doesn't that summarize the Christian life? The Christian life has its challenges, it has its difficulties, no doubt. But it is a life full of amazement. Why? Because you have your eyes open to the things of God. You don't have the blinders on anymore. But you see things as they truly are. You are alive. You, 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 you see the truth. You see the truth of who he is in your life. You see the truth of who he is in the world and what he's doing around the world. You, you see the, the wonderful, amazing power of answered prayer. You see the wonderful work that he is doing around the world and how he allows you to even partner with him in that work. In what he is doing. You can't help but stand back and be amazed. And so let me ask you again this morning, on this glorious morning, are you astonished? Are you amazed? Or has the gospel message just kind of lost its buzz? Do you come this day and say, ah, it's Easter. Kind of give a yawn, a sigh. We need to be astonished again this day. God is amazing. God is awesome in the true sense of the word. We need to have complete amazement and be full of wonder, astonishment. Just as the women were that day, so too must we be this day. Amazed and astonished as our Lord. Well, the third It's one that is a little bit more buried here, but we see it. And that is the third response is that being of shame, being ashamed. Afraid, astonishment, ashamed. But notice what the angel says to the women. He says, but go and tell his disciples and Peter and then go to Galilee. Why does the angel single out Peter? Well, you can imagine that Peter had been racked with guilt, racked with regret at what had just happened days before, that he had denied his Lord, not once, not twice, but three times. And he denied the Lord because he was ashamed of the Lord. And no doubt, now he was ashamed of himself. Let me ask you again, have you ever felt that way can I really be a disciple of Christ can I name the name of Christ do you know who I am do you know what I have done surely Christ would be ashamed of me because I'm ashamed of myself and notice what the angel says on that day the proclamation of the good news of the gospel goes out not only to the disciples but also to Peter The angel does not say, hey, go tell the disciples, but don't tell Peter because he's been disqualified. 
He denied the Lord. Now the angel says, go tell the disciples, and especially Peter. The resurrection news, the good news of the gospel was proclaimed to even him. And it's proclaimed to even a sinner like yourself this day. And so again, let me ask you, are you coming this day with a sense of shame, with that load, saying, surely Christ doesn't want anything to do with me. If he knew, in no way, let me tell you this morning, he does know. He knows even more fully than you know yourself. And yet he still invites you to come. And that's the glorious good news of the gospel. That's the reassurance of God's grace and God's love that we have this day. That we need not be shamed, but that we be bold in Christ. That Christ came to seek and save the lost. That Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Paul, of which says, I was the chief. And each one of us can say, no, I am the chief. And yet I've been reconciled, I've been saved, I've been washed clean. I've been given a new beginning, a new start, a new life. And isn't that the, the, the wonderful thing that we proclaim? That Easter happened when? The first day of the week. I think it's a sign to us of a new beginning, of a new creation of a new start, that we are now new creatures in Christ. And so this day is a celebration, just as you would celebrate your birthday every year as a new year of life. So Easter is an annual reminder. It's, it's actually a, a weekly reminder as we come every first day of the week to be reminded that we have new life because we have new life in Christ. We have a new beginning, a new start. We're new creatures because of what Christ has done for us. We have this new beginning. And it comes in the most unexpected manner as it did that day for those women. And it does for us today. And so as we come to the conclusion to the end of the Gospel of Mark. As I said at the start, it's an end, but it's really just a beginning. Because he was dead, but now he is risen, just as he said. And because he is risen, that changes everything. Everything for all of eternity. And so, join in the chorus this day of the angels above, of all the saints, and all the believers here below, singing that he lives, he lives, Jesus Christ lives today. And may it be your proclamation this day, as you go forth with the words upon your lips, he lives and so do I, that I live with Christ, because Christ truly lives. Amen. Let us pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this day. Lord, this truly indeed is a glorious good news to us that Christ was once dead, but now he lives. And so we in him were once dead, 
but now we too truly live. And Lord, we pray that you would do a work in us. If it be that work that you've done again and again, so be it. If it be a new work, a new life, Lord, bring that about even in this place this day as well. As we confess our sins to you, knowing that you know our sins better than we know ourselves. And yet you still bid us to come. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that has risen from the dead. It's in his name we pray. It's in his name that we give glory and praise. Amen.